Well, good morning, everybody, and welcome to Encounter Church. Uh, before we begin, I, I want to highlight something. You received one of these cards at the front door, maybe a couple of them when you came in this morning. It uh, just advertises a little more information about our fall launch tailgate. On the back, in giant point font, it's uh, free food. It's a food voucher, up to $8 off at one of the food trucks that we have coming up at that fall launch tailgate. So we did this last year as well. We're handing these all out for you because they're not for you. Okay, we're handing them to you because we want to help you invite your friends and your neighbors to come to church and say, hey, listen, this is like a silly excuse, but it's a pretty tasty one, if that, to like come on to Encounter Church that September 8th Sunday morning. Join us for worship and like uh, let's have, a, let's have a, a potluck encounter style there on the yard uh, during, uh, one of the, uh, during that morning. So we want to just equip you in order to best help you invite some friends and neighbors to strike up that conversation. A lot of you did that last year. It was a pretty awesome hit. So I'm pretty pumped about that. Okay, we're in part three of this series right now called Quit Church. And don't forget, we're not, we're not giving up on church. We're pressing into it in order to, to fully embrace and to live out that full life, that abundant life that Jesus came to tell us about, to teach us, to live into. What we need to do sometimes is to quit some of the ways that we do church. And so, for example, first uh, week, week one, we heard about uh, quit just stopping by and make a, a commitment to worship weekly. Last week is quit just helping out and serve wholeheartedly was the commitment out of that time. And today it's about quit just having casual church friends and to group intentionally, and both those words are going to be important, group intentionally, and more on that in just a little bit here. So uh, to kind of lead us into this, I want to give us, uh, I guess, like an explanation of the problem of where we are, both as a church, but also I think like as a society as a whole and the damage and, and, and the epidemic that is loneliness. And we'll kind of do that by, uh, by introducing this little kid's book. It's a book where uh, the authors, adults, ask kids to like speak in and to solve some of the world's problems, some of society's ills, right? And so, for example, one of them was, hey, listen, like kids, we all know, everybody knows that smoking is bad for you. And so the authors approach these little kids and say, what would you do to help adults quit smoking? And some of these kids, right, like Alexis, age eight, bless her heart, is like, hey, listen, this is what we should do. We should go up to a grown-up's house who smokes and, and, and go over to their house, pretend to smoke, and then die. <laughs> It's like Alexis has a flair for the dramatic, doesn't she? Uh, another one that I love is like a lot of adults, a lot of grown-ups um, are, are working in jobs that, that they're unhappy in. So what would you say to the bosses of these employees that are unhappy? What would, you, what would you speak into? And little Max, age nine, says, here's what we do. We tell all of the bosses to pay their employees double. So he's off to a great start. And then we install a tickle machine. <laughs> For anybody else who's unhappy. And I'm like, that's what we need is like, you know, an office tickle machine first thing in the morning. <laughs> My brother-in-law pours concrete and I'm just imagining like these guys in car hearts and like this machine. Oh man, <laughs> so many new problems. Anyway, that's the premise of the book though. And then, and then they got, and then they start addressing, right, the loneliness, that there's a lot of lonely people out there. 
What would you do to try to fix this? And, and one kid wrote in. He said, very wisely, probably beyond his years, he says, I think we need to identify, find out who all the lonely people are and get their addresses. And then we find all the non-lonely people out and get their addresses. And when we have like even numbers of each of them, we, we match them up with each other so that there's nobody who's going to be lonely anymore. And that kid is probably wise beyond his years with that gift of administration. And that's what we're talking about this morning is this, this epidemic of loneliness. It, it's so bad. Uh, January 2018, Prime Minister of the United Kingdom, Theresa May, identifies it as a public health crisis. And she actually, in response to it, installed a minister of loneliness in her cabinet. Closer to home on this side of the pond, the American Sociological Review said that the average American has only two people that they would identify as close friends or trusted people in their life, which is especially troubling when you back it up and you find out 10 years ago, the average adult had six trusted people, close friends in their life. In fact, one in four Americans report that they don't have anybody who fits that description, again, of a close friend or a trusted person in their life. Loneliness is a problem. It takes a toll. Chris Songskin, in his book, um, Quit Church, where the idea of the, the, some of the content comes from, he uh, shares a story about a time that he toured around an orphanage in Romania. And as they went into one of the rooms, there were 10 babies and 10 cribs. And the director of the orphanage said, hey, Chris, I have a challenge for you. Five of the babies in this room, aged one month to two months, five of these babies have assigned families, adults, that come in after work every evening, in the evening, and they just hold the babies. And they look into the baby's eyes, and they get them to laugh, and they respond. And half don't. Five don't. We only have the resources to provide for their physical needs and not at all their emotional needs. I want you to guess which have families assigned to them and which don't. And so he walks around the room and one by one he says, family, family, no family. And at the end, he submits his list to the director and he looks it over and he says, you're exactly right on all 10 guesses. And reflecting on this, the surprising thing for Chris wasn't that he could guess so accurately as how easy that process was. He said, I would just look into these babies' eyes again, one to two months old already. And he could see there was like nothing behind them. There was no eye contact made. They were lethargic. There were no smiles. And there was very, even, very little even crying. I couldn't believe how easy it was two months old, the toll that the loneliness physically takes on a human being. And I think there's a reason for that. I think that we were made in such a way that knowing that we can respond to it, and I'll take this a step further and just say, church, I think that this, this subject, this topic is potentially one of the greatest gifts that we as a community can offer the world who desperately is craving to have this need met and it isn't already. That if somehow, if we could get this thing right, listen, our communities, our cities, our nation, our world could be dramatically different. We could be, as Jesus says, a light 
potentially in a very dark, scary, and lonely place if we could only get this thing right. So we're going to address this from a couple different angles. The first angle that we're going to do is that, is that there is like universal principles that are going to be at work here that I think that this time together is going to be helpful to you on your journey, no matter who you are, where you're coming from, whatever kind of perspective you have about God, about Jesus, about miracles, about the whole divinity of Christ thing, about the dying and rising from the dead. Even if you're unsure about all of that completely, listen, I think that this time together is going to be extraordinarily helpful as you kind of come to terms and, and think about this thing on your own. But if you come at it from a place where you come to those, some of those conclusions, but, but if you're coming at this from a, like, I really do believe, I think Jesus was divine, the Son of God. I think he did die and come back from the dead, risen from the dead to conquer our two chief fears, sin and death. If you come, if you come at it from that perspective, listen, stick around to the ending if you could, because this thing is going to have like a whole new set of gears on top of it. It's not just going to be helpful. I think it's potentially life transformational. So I want to go to that first place, this helpful side of things, no matter who you are, where you come from. Let's go to the Bible and let's just kind of hear about some of these universal principles. We're going to go to the book of Genesis, chapter 2. The words are going to be on the screen behind me, but if you're ever like wondering about like this paper Bible underneath the chair in front of you, this is a great time, a great morning to like explore that and to give it a shot because Genesis is like the easiest book of the Bible to find. It's like table of contents and then Genesis. This is the first book of the Bible. In fact, the word simply means beginning and we're going to go to the beginning of the beginning, Genesis chapter 2. If you get like double digit page numbers, you've gone too far. So Genesis chapter 2, just to set it up a little bit in context, for us. Genesis chapter 1, the very first chapter of the Bible's creation story. God created sun, moon, stars, heaven, earth, everything, and he called it good. And then Genesis 2 picks up, and it's like the sequel, because he's not finished yet. It's not that what he made was bad, it's just that he wasn't finished and so he keeps on creating. That's where we pick it up in Genesis 2. And we're going to pick it up specifically in verse 18. Where the Lord God said, It's not good for the man that he made. It's not good for the man to be alone. And God says, I'll make a helper suitable for him. Now, there's so much there. In fact, we're going to camp out on just like that verse for quite a while this morning, the bulk of our time, is to just like figure out like what, what is so much in that line right there. And, and first thing I want to start off with is like that is a significantly triggering passage to many people because what we do, and this is important, what we do is we think that this passage is like limiting itself to talk about only marriage. But like God is specifically like having in mind a man and a woman, and he's like creating this design of them, of them coming together in, in Christian or in holy marriage. And that is an application of this passage. But what I'm saying is that's an application. There's a principle at work above this that applies not only to married people or people on that journey, but, but, but to every single created person ever. And I think we would be wise to explore kind of what that massive, like, overarching principle is and not just devolve in sort of like, well, this is just for some of y'all who are married. I think everybody has to pay attention. 
And so as we go into this, we got to like identify a couple things. When he says, I will make a helper suitable for him, and, and immediately after that, God creates Eve out of his rib, right? The side, not the head to rule over him or the foot bone to, to be under him, but the side right next to him. When God creates Eve, he says, as helper, suitable for him. And sometimes you think like helper is like this subservient kind of like underneath sort of role. That's not the design here. And we know that because the word that's used for helper is used elsewhere in the Bible, get this, to describe God's relationship with us. So in Psalm 115, God says that I am your helper. And so it's like, whoa, no, no. He does not mean this. It's like God is somehow underneath humankind or that, that Eve is somehow underneath Adam. He doesn't mean it in like that, that kind of like diminutive sort of way at all. That's like not what he's getting into at all. And the other thing about like the marriage side of things, just because we don't address this uh, so much, I want to highlight the fact that every year in the fall, we do like this snapshot of Encounter Church to figure out like, hey, where are we? Who are we? In order to better discern where we're going. And what we find out in that snapshot is this church, unlike most churches in America today, this church is heavily, heavily single. And so you got to like take a somewhat of a deviation of the topic this morning just to like sort of address that. Because we often have these misconceptions about passages like this, and we just sort of like have a way of, of reading our, our marriedness onto that and, and make it like this sort of assumed or normative prescribed role that like this is what God has in mind for you. Anybody who has maybe gone to a local Christian college knows the feeling of that pressure of ring by spring, Right. And then you're going you're gonna to get married and then, and then parents are going to be like, when's those grandbabies coming, right? Like, let's, let's get on the move of this. And you can be like, wait a second. There's a governing principle behind this and the application of that principle is something entirely different. The application of this principle isn't just about married people or single people. It's, it's everybody, all people, everywhere. And we, we know that. We know that because Paul, in 1 Corinthians 7, Paul says, listen, if you're married, awesome. You should stay married, right? If you're not married, though, right, that is a gift in itself to be stewarded. If you're not married, that's okay. And we start to see how, like, some of this, like, plays out. Like, yeah, that, that, makes, that makes sense. I can see that. So whether you're married, that's a gift. If you're single, that's a gift, too. Steward your gift well. I remember the days went back when I was in college and I lived with like seven guys. It was super illegal in this house, right? And looking back, it was not very wise either. But, but like we were all crammed into this house, right? And I remember anytime one of the guys was going through something, I mean, he could get home from work and it's like 11 p.m. And because I'm subletting out my closet to him, he's like in the bedroom here with me. Again, super illegal and not very wise, but you got to pay rent. So he's like, he's in there and like, you know, going through something and it might be 11 p.m. at night, but I'm there right? and we're talking well into the night and then like the sun starts to come up the next morning, right? Because we're there together. But what happens when you're married? What happens when you have kids? Like your, your time is no longer your own. That's why I kind of get why Paul is saying, listen, in some context, this is a gift to be stewarded. Because if you called me today at 11 p.m. and said you're, you're going through something, I'm probably going to say, can I wait till morning? 
Like, I will be there with coffee at 5 a.m. Let's do that. And if it can't wait till morning, I can be there. But, but like, that's my first question. Can it wait till morning? Because my time, it isn't my own anymore. And I have to steward these gifts as well as I possibly can. And so you have to steward yours. Missionaries out on the mission field, like they talk about these struggles all the time. The mission of God, serving God or taking care of their family and how they sometimes experience this tension point together and just like naming the reality that it is. It's, it's conflicted at times. Anyway, the governing principle beyond this whole thing is God creating us. And, and, and marriage is awesome. And marrying up, great. That's a gift to be stored. But the governing principle behind some of that is simply an acknowledgement that this is that man, the man, your man, whatever, all of us, we're not, we're not made, we're not, it was not good to be alone. So if you kind of like take something out of this time together, like I hope it's just this one line, is that the creator created us and created you for community, is that you were made for this. You were made for this. And sometimes when you pull back, you start to realize like, like the application points of this, it starts to click and it starts to make sense of like, yes, yes, I, I, can, I can start to see that now. Some of you who follow me on social, you know that um, I made a little faux pas earlier. I was trying to get onto an international flight with a soon expired passport, which is super on me. And I get that. It would have been nice though if I didn't find that out in O'Hare International Airport in Chicago. And I'm like at the front desk and they're like, oh, now we got a problem, right? Because I can't let you on this plane with, with some begging and pleading along the ways. It was like, nope, I for sure can't let you. And so I end up in Chicago, going back to Grand Rapids, going to Passport Agency in Detroit, back to Grand Rapids, and then to Chicago again to get on my plane to, to go on the trip. And I'm just like, 48 hours, most of my waking hours in the car. And I'm driving around, and some of you are like, yeah, no, I know. Not because I saw you tell the story on social, but like, you called me. I called a lot of people. I'm so lonely. I'm driving around. And I just needed to be reminded that somebody else existed in this world outside of my little Hyundai, outside of this metal box driving down the highway. I called everybody I knew just to say, what's going on? What, are you okay? What's the matter? You don't do this. I'm just so lonely. Please talk to me. Tell me something, right? Just to remind myself, somebody else is out there because I was made, I was created by the creator for community. And I craved that and I needed that. That's why your 12-year-old daughter is asking you for an Instagram account. And you're going, this is a bad idea and all over it. And I'm not justifying it or telling you one way to, or another. I mean, that's like Godspeed. That's on you. But, but like the rationale, the reason behind that is that she was made for community. She was made for connection. She was made for social cohesion. She was made to find this acceptance and approval inside of a certain community. She was made for this. And you have to help her steward it, so that's on you. One of the ways that we image God, we were created in the image of God. One of the ways that you do that, you image God, is this relational community. Like imagine the uniqueness of Christianity on the religious landscape, that at the center of our faith is a three-in-one God. It's so unique. Nobody, no other world religion has anything like it. It's not three. It's not one. It's three in one. It's God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, completely perfect unto himself, experiencing the deep joy and profound fellowship and community that all of creation is created out of to be shared with. 
And we image God every time we gather in that community. It, it honors him because that's who he is and how each one of us was made. It's God's plan for God's people. Story to story, cover to cover in the Bible. From, from Genesis, the very, very beginning of everything, to Revelation, the last book of the Bible where God draws the, the, the curtains together and comes out and takes a bow. Community is there. There's this little word that God uses to introduce it. He introduces it in, um, in Genesis chapter 12. And out of the whole world, God is carving out of it a tribe. He uses that word tribe 445 times throughout the story of the Bible, cover to cover. And he's saying, listen, this is what I'm doing. I'm pulling out, I'm extracting a community with a common belief system and a common language. And so if you're a part of that tribe that God is calling out, called Jesus followers, you have a common belief system, you have a common language. I, I, if I could, I'd like to teach you what that common language is. And the author of Hebrews points it out in Hebrews 10, verse 24. And he says, let us consider how we made two words here. Number one is spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but second word, but encouraging one another. If I could teach this, this language of the tribe of community together with us as we group intentionally, that we spur and we encourage. Like, you know, the spur, the idea, I'm thinking like a sharp, you know, metal object in the side to like get us up, get us moving, get us going. More of a stick than a, than a carrot, not, not pleasant all the time, of course, but effective nonetheless to spur us on towards love and good deeds. And then, and then the language of spur, the language of encouraging. Encouragement is like, is like oxygen for the soul, someone put it. We need it. We rely on it for our very being. We will die without it like one of those babies in the orphanage. We crave it. We need it. One time I was going through a particularly difficult season. There was nothing specifically that was getting me down, but it was like everything at once. It's just not responding well to it all. And, and I remember sitting down, I remember just like, like just opening like the whole can and just pouring it all out and, uh, to my wife and just saying like, ugh, this, everything, little stuff, big, medium, all of it. And she just like listened, right? And didn't say much, which is helpful because I just needed to get it off my chest. The next morning, I went into the office and I was the first person here, so it was just me. And my wife was teaching at the time, so she got up like really early. And, and what she did, she snuck in at some point and left these cards on my keyboard with like this twine around it. It was like a Bible, per, Bible passage uh, or just like a one-line encouragement. And I'm, just, <laughs> I'm telling you, church, like I'm just reading through these cards it's just generic stuff, but like oxygen for my soul. That I'm now in my office just reading through these passages of these one lines, and it's like tears are now rolling down. I just needed that so bad, and I had no idea how badly I needed it until it was there. 
It was like I could breathe for the first time in a very long time. I just can't help but wonder if maybe somebody in your life right now has been suffocating under that lack of encouragement. And if the Spirit of God might be whispering into your ear right now and saying, your tribe has a language. Maybe they need a spur. Maybe they need some oxygen for the soul, that encouragement. Speak it. Say it. At, after worship at 1045 last week, um, a young guy came up to me right over here where I sit, and I, and I kind of just hang out. And uh, he comes up to me. This is less than a week ago, right? Or exactly a week ago. And he said, um, I'm leaving now. And I'm like, well, you know, church is done, so okay. <laughs> Thanks for letting me know. And he goes, no, like, I'm, I'm leaving. I'm heading down to Florida to pursue a graduate program there. And I just wanted... And he like gets choked up. I just wanted to let you know how much this church has meant to me in my journey. And he shares some of his story. And by the end of the story, it's like, you know, the waterworks are here. And then a little bit later in the week, this is just this past week, he gathered some more thoughts together and he sent it to me, but he addresses all of you. So I thought I'd share that with you. Um, Dirk and Encounter Church family. This is his story. I graduated high school with very little regard for God, Christianity, and religion. I saw the hypocrisy in others. No, come to think of it, I think I was actually looking for it. But it gave me an excuse to be angry at God and everybody else. And this anger rooted in desperation filled this void in my life. I ended up it ended up destroying my life. Lack of motivation long moments of unemployment, sitting in my room for hours, wasting away with video games, not knowing what to do with my life led to nothing. And about a year and a half ago, my brother and sister-in-law invited, invited me to join them in Encounter one morning. I guarantee the only reason I went was because I had nothing else planned and they offered to drive. <laughs> I've been going to Encounter for a year and a half now. <laughs> As some people may know, I took a step of faith. I'm now in graduate school in Florida. The second day I'm down here, it was a student who I'd been introduced to the previous day. I was walking out of a rally. I saw him sitting down, and God said through me, Quentin, if there's anything you need to talk about, you let me know. I'd love to get to know you. And not even an hour later, God is using me and my story to encourage this young man in his struggle. For his current valley was mine two years ago. The exact same struggle, not motivated, struggling at home, no calling, the list goes on and on. We cried at midnight on the second day, in the middle of the night at a table outside under the stars. Not only was I being honest with myself for the first time, but honest with him and honest with God. I am so excited to see who else he places in my path to build his kingdom. And I truly thank Encounter for the discipleship and the mentoring they, that's you, provided. 
the amount of growth that happened in my life was exponential. And I love the exponential because what he experienced here, he took with him to Florida. And just imagine the power, the, 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 the impact you get to have by connecting with some of the people here and actually reaching like the ends of the earth as they go out from here. It's incredible. And, and then incredible also, like he signs it, he signs his name, Adam, baptized at Encounter Church, February 24, 2019. This, this is him. That's the guy. This is oxygen for the soul, Adam, if you're watching right now. This is encouragement for us. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We get together, we talk about grouping intentionally. And you think about sitting around in somebody's living room, a coffee table in the middle, having awkward conversation until you get to know each other better. That's, that's reality. That's expectations. But, but like along the way though, you learn a language of spurring and knowing just what to say and how to say it at the right time. And you learn the language of encouragement, like that oxygen for the soul that we so desperately crave. Over time, we start to see this honest evaluation of where we are and we develop a plan about how we're going to grow. Like we do this all the time in so many other areas of life. I mean, you might have a kid or a niece or a nephew and you sign them up for ballet or for like mathletes. And you don't do that because like everybody is in the same stage of life and they're asking the same questions you are and you think you could be really good friends with the other people in the group. No, no, no. You sign your kid up for this intentional group because you want to help her or help him get better at math or get better at ballet. Ballet, it's like, it's an intentional kind of grouping in the same way as in the church. We get together and we identify, I want to grow in this particular way. Help me get an honest evaluation of where I am so that I can develop a plan of growth into the future. That's just like who we are and like where we're going in all of this. And that's so incredibly helpful. That's so incredibly helpful for you at work, your place of employment, like whatever it is. It's just going to be helpful to you to know that, to, to know that you can find your people, to give this evaluate, honest evaluation where you are and a plan for growth. Like that's just awesome. No matter what your spiritual convictions, anytime, anywhere, like I'd encourage you to do that. Like that is just going to, you will be blessed by that. You'll have a better life, better relationships, better work environment, office, classroom, everything as a result of that. It's just universally helpful because after all, you were made for it. You cannot do life alone. But if you're a Jesus follower, if you surrender your life over to him, listen, there's like a whole other set of gears on top of this thing, like I said. God finishes out that line in Genesis chapter 2, that, that chapter finishes the whole thing, everything perfect as it should be. No, no sin, no evil, no destruction in the world. Just people in community as they should be in verse 25. And it says this. In verse 25, Adam and his wife Eve were both naked. And I love this line. And they felt no 
shame. It's like completely bearing themselves to one another. And there's no hiding, and there's no running, and there's no lying. There's just, there's just this lack of shame involved. And this is like the, the most beautiful picture about like what the Christian life like, like ought to get to eventually, where people could just be in a room together and just and, and bear their souls to one another. And there's no hiding and there's no running and there's no lying. And there's no judgment and there's no criticism and there's no condemnation. There's just the surprising, palpable lack of shame. This is the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That when Christians get together, we get together with this understanding that all of us are dragging behind us a bucket of regrets, a bucket of sin, a bucket of shame, and we all set it on the table, and the only question is who's going to start pouring their bucket out first? Because we all know that we have them, and if you don't think that you have one, well, that's, that's your bucket right there. Like, we've all got it. But as Christians, we also know that we have this remarkable power to get together and all have a full bucket of shame in there. But yet God, he, Jesus, he sees us and he knows us and he loves us the same. And he goes, I see your redeemed value and your infinite worth. I see that, that, that I am one who's going to suffer and die for you because I love you that incredibly much. It is a beautiful, it's a beautiful thing and it's unique to Christianity because we're all broken and, and fallen, but we're all loved to death and back. And the power there to feel no shame. This is, this is what it looks like. I'm hanging out with a, with a group of guys, some close friends that I've known for a while. We all live in different states now, different regions of the country. And I can't even remember when the last time we were all in the same room together. But it didn't matter. It doesn't matter because we video chat once a month, every month. And we get together and I'm just like pouring out, pouring out like this relational thing in my life. Like why can't they, why do they always and never, like just this, this frustration. I'm just like going on and on and on. And one of the guys in the group, one of the guys just pauses because we've known each other for a while, but because he knows an honest evaluation of where I am and this plan of growth in the future, he pauses. And he goes, Dirk, I can't help but wonder if the, if the current frustration that you're experiencing right now has anything to do with the sin issue that we've talked about before in your life. And maybe these two things could like be related. And like a sharp metal object in the side, I am Spurred on towards love and good deeds. It's not just helpful, church. It's life transformational. You need it because you were made for it. That power of so radically being seen and feeling no shame. It starts not with the person who came here with you today, not with joining a small group. It starts with you and God and getting in community with him of offering up who you really are, masks not included, and saying, this is my bucket.
and accepting the love of God nonetheless. If you'd like to do that this morning, on the back, seat back in front of you, there's a card. It says, I made Jesus my Savior today. I renewed my relationship with Jesus today. You can fill that out and drop it in the bucket on the way out. You can head back to the prayer table in the back during this last song. We want to help you experience that supreme joy of being seen and feeling no shame. If you're on that journey already, it's time to share that with some other people. Sign up for a small group. You can go to encounterchurch.org slash events. We're looking for leaders right now, and I know you're not ready. I know you're not ready to be a leader. Nobody ever is. But register, sign up. We got you. We just need you to offer up a time slot and a meeting place, and we'll take it from there. We're ready. We're ready to do life together because we all need to experience what it's like to be seen and to feel no shame. Would you stand up with me and let's pray together? Our gracious God, you know, you know what it's like to be seen. God, you know the severe pain it is to experience a relational rejection after all these people that you have made. We have turned our backs on you and we have hurt you. But you loved us all through it and you see this infinite value inside of us. God, may that give us the courage this week, even on the car ride on the way home today, to pull off that mask just that much more and to say, this is who I really am and I need to be seen and I need to know that my shame is removed once and for all. Jesus, you have done that for us. God, may we be blessed in leading others into that same experience. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.